Father, we know that this man is a man of faith. We know that he has pressed into you and we know that he has given up much to pursue you. Father, we ask that in these moments that um, all that he says will be the things that you want him to share. And I pray that we would, in listening, hear the sound of faith and that we would take that faith and that we would let it grow in our own lives. Amen. Or do I get to hold the mic? Wow, look at that. Uh, Morning, everyone. Um, Before I get going on the topic I'm due to talk about, uh, just a a word about the, the whole thing of what's going on in the nation at the moment. When things keep happening, it's easy to forget what happened just now. And people keep using the word unprecedented. I've heard the word unprecedented used more times in the past three years than ever before. It's just unprecedented the number of times it's been used. And uh, I didn't think about that. I'm just naturally funny. But, but we, we had the pandemic, uh, which was unprecedented. We, and, and that just went on and on and on and on. It, in a sense, it's still around, you know. We, we came out of that and we, we went into um, the, uh, a mixture of the, the, the conflict and war in Ukraine and the economic um, crisis, really, that we're, we're facing and all the stuff with energy prices and food prices and everything else going up. Um, and then the, the Prime Minister has to step down and we go through this whole business of a, a prolonged election process. A new Prime Minister are chosen. Two days later, our monarch dies after 70 years. And it is an, an extraordinary time for us. And none of us have lived through any of this, well, certainly not all together. I mean, none of us have lived through a pandemic before. Uh, A lot of us haven't lived through this type of economic situation before. Or if we did, when when we were living through it, we were not having to take responsibility for our own finance in the same way. So it didn't impact us quite as it does. None of us have lived through a monarch dying, um, or possibly, possibly one or two of you. But... um, And we're crazy if we don't ask the Lord what's going on. And when uh, I was thinking on Friday, I just thought, what's going on? And uh, I was reminded instantly of a passage in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm not going to read it. It's reasonably well known. Some of you will know it very well. But Isaiah was uh, uh, a prophet in about 700 BC and... Uh, a king died, King Uzziah, who was king of the, the nation. He'd been king for a long time. And like all reigns, you know, things had gone up and down. But generally, it had been good. And he'd brought good things to his nation. And he died, and the nation was facing great uncertainty. They didn't know what was going to happen, who, who might invade them, what was going to happen internally, who was really going to lead them and hold them together as a nation. And in that moment, it said, in the year King Uzziah died. So it wasn't instantly, but it was 
sometime afterwards, and Isaiah was obviously praying about this and taking his concerns to the Lord, and he was in the temple. Now, bear in mind, he wasn't a priest. He wasn't somebody who went into the kind of inner middle bit of the, the temple, but he says, I saw the Lord in a, in a way that nobody else ever had done in that setting. It was completely unique. And I think there's a place for us as God's people in this nation to ask ourselves the question, what is happening and what do we need to do? How do we need to respond right now? And, you know, we can, we can listen to all the, the commentators and so on, and I've, probably like some of you, I've, I've taken in quite a lot of what's going on because I've wanted to, to catch the mood of the moment. I've wanted to catch the mood of the nation in order to try and understand it, but I've also been asking the Lord, what is going on here? And Isaiah went to the Lord and he had this incredible experience and it was so incredible, it was written down and we're still reading it two and a half millennia later on. It's still having an impact on us. Don't think that God won't speak to you. Don't think that God won't speak to you as an individual, not just to give you clarity, but to help to bring clarity to us all. If you get that clarity, bring it to us. I thought what Henry brought was, was just another bit of helpful information into that mix. I was so heartened yesterday when I, I, uh, I was out in the, the day, but I watched the, the swearing in or the, the proclamation of the, the, the king. And uh, I mean, it was just fascinating to watch historically, but it was just to, to hear all that Charles was promising and adding that together with what he said on Friday when he addressed the nation, it just it gave me hope, to be honest. It gave me, gave me real hope. You know, some of us, maybe a few decades ago, were quite wondering where this, um, this air would, would take things. But you know, people change over 30 years. I have, and, and so have you. And, um, so let's be hopeful, but let's... You know, let's take things to the, the Lord. Let's not make assumptions about what will happen. Let's just go on the basis of what God says. Okay, um, that was for free. Uh, you don't have to um, do anything more for that one. Okay, so I'm starting a series, and unusually, uh, and it's quite unusual because I've never done it before, I'm going to speak for four talks in a row, although you will get a break because uh, somebody else is uh, coming, and I heard him speak yesterday. He's really, really good. So. When Nick Scott, who's the prophetic guy, is here in four weeks' time, um, make every opportunity to, to get to him. Really worth listening to. It's going to be a great opportunity to release prophetic uh, gifts in the church and in you individually and just encourage you and, and just help you to get to know God better. But um, I'm doing this series of, of four talks, and so... Uh, I'm going to introduce that today, so it's going to be a slightly longer talk than normal. We're not going to have uh, discussion groups afterwards, so if you're sitting there thinking, Crumbs Graham, you're going on a long time and we've still got to have discussion groups, don't worry. No discussion groups. When I finish, it'll be coffee, cake, and you know, uh, everything will be hunky-dory. Um, am I allowed to say that in church, hunky-dory? Well, I've said it now, so it's okay. Um, but I'm going, to, I'm going to set the scene, I'm going to explain why we're doing this right now, and then I'm going to take the first bit. I've got four topics over the, these four sessions that I'm going to look at. Not because I think I will do it better than anybody else, but I just think it's important to try and, and set the scene. And what I'm also asking 
um, and this is for the benefit of those people who are not here at the moment, uh, that everybody listens to all four of the talks because they are available and, and they, they, they have some continuity because if you don't, you won't understand fully what we're trying to do as we take this next step forward as a church. So that's why I'm doing these and that's why I think they're, they're important. Um, we spent some time leading up to the camp looking at values as a church and trying to lay a foundation. And I'm, I'm not gonna talk again about those simply to remind us what they are. We came up with, with five things, one of which is, is still quite fuzzy and just encompasses a lot of other things. But um, pres the presence of God, being family or a community, um, being involved in mission and bringing hope to people, uh, unity, just unity inside the church, but being part of a unified church in Worcester. And the fifth one, which is the fuzzy one, um, cre being creatively influential is the best phrase I've come up with. Basically means there's a world that God has placed us in which needs the transformation of Jesus and it's our job to take his power into that world with creativity and originality and love and God's help and power and bring change into it wherever we're sent. But creative influence was a quicker way of saying that. So those are our five values and they provide a, a foundation, a bedrock. But values have to go somewhere. They have to give us something to do. And I had the opportunity for a, a nice long break earlier in the summer and um, when I came back, I was talking to the Lord and saying, you know, so where do I, I try to, to spend some time with him each day. And I'd done that when I was on holiday, but mostly in the Psalms, because you can kind of jump around and doesn't have to be quite so um, uh, regular, I suppose. And I came back and I suddenly thought, you know, I'm going to read Deuteronomy. I haven't read Deuteronomy in, in ages, so I'm going to read Deuteronomy. Who's read Deuteronomy recently? Oh, Henry has. So I, now I was, oh, and Alison, I was... Wow, I was really in the groove with that, wasn't I? So I started reading Deuteronomy, and as soon as I started reading it, I just went, oh, Graham, you are so foolish, so dull to understand. And I, I really kind of stopped in, in mid-flow when I realized this, and I thought, oh, my goodness, Lord, you are speaking something here. Because I realized that this... About a year ago, just over a year ago, we spent a whole load of time going through the journey of God's people from uh, when they were just about to cross the Red Sea to when they get to the Jordan the first time. And Deuteronomy is the other end of that story. They wander around the desert for 40 years and then they're into this period of, of entering into God's promise and taking hold of all that he has for them. And Deuteronomy starts to lay that out and I suddenly thought, you want to say something important to us here, Father. So uh, what is it? Help me to understand. So I'm just going to take my watch off so I can keep an eye on the time. I'm just going to put my watch back on again because I've just seen the time. Um, the opening chapters of Deuteronomy, I'm going to read one of them shortly, but uh, go away, read them for yourselves. Well, it's... Uh, Deuteronomy means second law. It means the second reading of the law. And uh, that's effectively what Moses does. And it's basically one long sermon. You think, you know, I can talk for a while. This is a whole book. And it was just Moses talking. And everybody had to stand there and listen. And no microphone to hold either. 
And he is laying out for the new generation, the generation that didn't live through all the stuff in Exodus, he's laying out what God has done. He's reminding them of the story because they didn't have YouTube to look back on. And he, he tells them, at one point, he tells them again, these are the, the commandments the Lord gave me. And, and he, he lists out these 10 commandments, which are really a kind of, uh, it's the, the summation of a code of conduct for these people, of a way of trying to make a, a, a nation of slaves into a nation who occupy their own land. That's what the commandments and the laws do, and keeping God at the center of that. And he goes through all that, and um, we get to Deuteronomy 6, which I'm going to read the, the whole of. If you want to, to follow, uh, please do. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations the Lord commanded me to teach you. So he's just uh, repeated the, the Ten Commandments again and um, explained what they are. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Uh, you and your children and your grandchildren. That's important. Remember that. You must fear the Lord. And when the Old Testament talks about fearing the Lord, it's talking about respecting, revering, honoring, loving, uh, cherishing. It's not just, you know, God's a big, bad, scary God. I uh, uh, lost my place there. That's the trouble. Uh, uh, then, then all, yeah, but, uh, I think I'm somewhere around here. Uh, listen closely, Israel. Be careful to obey them. Then all will go well for you. You'll have many children in the land. It's flowing with milk and honey, which is just an explanation. It's just a picture of fruitfulness and abundance. Uh, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. In other words, you can walk in the good of God's promise if you do it this way. Naturally, you won't want to do it this way. So that's why you've got a code to follow. Now, thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that led to practices which are still followed today by um, devout Jews. Uh, the Lord your God will bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pay attention to this bit as well. It's a land with large, prosperous cities you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you'll eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. And when you've eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him when you take an oath you must use only his name. You mustn't worship any of the gods of the neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you. He'll wipe you from the face of the earth. You mustn't test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws and decrees he's given you. 
Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that all will go well with you. Then you will enter and occupy the good land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. You'll drive out all the enemies living in the land just as the Lord said you would. In the future, your children will ask you, what's the meaning of these laws, decrees and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? And you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he would give us the land he had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so, we can, so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. We will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. And out of reading that passage and the, the, the opening part of Deuteronomy, I, I felt there were four things God was highlighting to me, and I've shared these with the rest of the, the leadership team because I think they are four priorities for us going forward, which is why we're looking at them over these four talks. And they are these four things. Um, one, believing for the impossible. Two, serving and giving. Number three, children and the next generation. And number four, the word of God. Four priorities, believing for the impossible, serving and giving, children and the next generation, and the word of God. Um, and we're going to look um, for the, uh, hopefully, we can do justice in the time available, believing for the impossible. Let me just say, this is not... This is not us setting out a vision. These are just priorities. I wish, and lots of people are saying, you know, what's the vision? Give us a vision. We don't really understand. We're not there at the moment, okay? We can't do that, and we can't just make it up out of thin air. But these are four priorities. I think they're quite, they're quite biblical. I, we think they fit with us, and it's where we're going to be focusing in these uh, coming months and uh, who knows for a, uh, a bit longer. Notice it doesn't include the things that are already in the values. It doesn't include worship because that's always a priority for us. Um, and a whole load of things that I'm not being specific about. And they're not the only four priorities. It's not that these are the most important things in the whole of Christendom. It's just that I think God's highlighting them to us. And that's why I'm sharing them. And I hope that in doing that, you will uh, feel a sense of agreement and uh, we'll be able to move forward as a unified body. Okay, believing God for, for the impossible. Um, we believe in, in something impossible. We're all here because of something impossible. Because a man was sent from heaven, uh, lived a perfect life, died, came back to life again, and through that action and the divine intervention of God, we all uh, have an eternal hope so that when we, we pray for our royal family, we're, we're remembering a queen who now is serving her, her Lord face to face in a way that she, she never did. That's impossible. If we live our lives as believers in that impossible situation, if we live our lives not expressing that impossibility, not reaching into that impossibility day after day, then we're not 
being true to what it is that God has, has brought us into. We're, we're living at a, a level of experience which is below what God wants to bring into the, the earth. In the Lord's Prayer it says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, that's become uh, quite well known. And in order to see something from heaven transferred into our life on the earth, it means we're reaching into the, the realm that, in a sense, has, by our normal standards, impossibilities. And we're bringing them to the earth. We're bringing salvation. We're bringing hope. We're bringing healing. We're bringing forgiveness. We forget that those things are not of this world. They're not qualities that humans produce out of themselves because actually we're, what we're really good at as humans is making a mess of things. We're just really good at that. It doesn't seem to take too much effort. It took the divine effort of God to intervene in that, to bring change. <clears throat> There's a very practical application for this and that's the building that we're seeking currently. Uh, we've got planning permission, yay! Okay. Planning permission is through. So we started to go about the process of getting it valued so that we can get onto the market. So we had um, a lady come last week and look around, got another guy coming tomorrow morning to, to look around. Um, and uh, the thing that's impossible about it is <laughs> we've got nowhere to go. I mean, we've, we've looked for quite a number of years now. There's just there's nothing. And we're looking for a bigger building. What, I think what we're looking for, really, is everything we've got at Lindisfarne, just more space. More space to meet, more space outside, more... Uh, I want a garden, more space in the garden to run around. There aren't, there aren't big places with big car parks and space like that, and gardens. There's just not any in Worcester that are available at the moment. But what we are entering into is... Uh, a period where I think we, we need to be asking God to do the impossible. Let's go to this. There was a bit I asked you to pay attention to, and this was what really caught my attention. Uh, this is verse 10. Uh, the Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give to you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is a, this is a, a promise over hundreds and hundreds of years these people have held on to. It's a land with large, prosperous cities you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you'll eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. They walk into this place, okay, they have to fight a few giants and so on to get there, but they walk into this place and it is ready for them. The interesting thing is, as they're kind of heading up the uh, east side of the Jordan, you read through the earlier chapters, you'll see that there were three bits of land that they went through, and God said specifically about each of those piece, bits of land, I've already given these to somebody else. I've given this, these to the Edomites and the Ammonites and some otherites, and um, you are not to take anything from them. If you drink any water or eat any food, you're to pay them for it because this land is not yours. So here's these people been wandering around for 40 years. They are itching to go and get hold of something and God makes them walk through places. They said, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it because what I've got for you is better. 
What I've got is bigger and better and more beautiful, and it's the place that I have promised. And so they have to, to go through, and there are probably you know, a couple of million of them by this stage, with all their cattle and sheep and everything else they've collected over the last 40 years, of all the stuff that the Egyptians gave them when they uh, left overnight uh, at that time, and they just, they can't do anything. It's just like they're, they're in transit, but then they get to Jordan, then they've got a fight on their hands. Uh, and I'm not going into all that now. When I read this, I felt God say to me, so <laughs> you have to do what you can with this, but I felt God say to me, that's gonna to happen to you. You're just gonna walk into somewhere and it's gonna be ready. It's gonna have everything you want and it's gonna be ready. And what's more, I have been praying and I still am praying that we'll get it debt free that we will walk into something and when we walk into it, we'll go, oh my goodness, I didn't know God was this good. That's what I'm praying for and that's what I talk about, believing for the impossible. Because normally when we go into this process, we think, oh, well, how much money are we gonna make from selling Lindisfarne and how much the gap gonna be and how are we gonna bridge that gap and you know, will we get a mortgage or will we be asked to give loads and loads of money that we've all got saved up for something else? I don't know how it will happen. I know how Lindisfarne happened and I know how other churches have done it. But let me tell you this, in the past week, I've heard three stories of churches that needed buildings and were given them. One was given one for 24 pounds, 24 pounds. Big building, they just walked into it, was ready for them to use. Another one, a guy was having a conversation with a bishop at some prayer breakfast and he said, we need a build. This is how I heard the story. We need a building. The bishop said, how much money you got? He said, uh, about 24,000. Bishop said, oh, I've got a building. You can have it for 24,000. They bought uh, an unused church building. It was an Anglican style building, so it would have had its challenges, I expect. Um, not least of which at the moment would be the heating bill, but 24,000 pounds. And then some other story I heard where a guy who was trying to do something across a whole city with missional communities was given six old Methodist churches free, completely free, six of them spreading out across Southampton. There was, um, do you know that story? Yeah. Um, this is God who does impossible things. Why do we need to believe in God who does impossible things? I'll tell you why, because if we just look at Lindisfarne and say, oh, that's really hard. That's really difficult. The trouble is we think we can do it because we've got resources and we're experienced and we're clever and we've got some people that know about things and, and we think there's a vague possibility we can do it. But when we look at something that's impossible, we know we can't do it. And there's only two potential responses. One is we can't do it, so let's do it because God can do it. We don't have to do anything. We just follow what he does and, and do that. Or the other possibility is we just don't do it. And that's just called unbelief. It's just called unbelief. And the problem that we have as the church, the church in the global church's biggest problem, certainly the church in, in Europe, and I would suggest most of America as well, uh, the biggest problem we, we face is just unbelief. We just don't believe the stuff that God says. And, and Jesus talked quite a lot about this. So again, I'm not gonna go into this in a big way, but in Mark's gospel, read through Mark's gospel, one place in particular, Mark chapter eight. Um, the two stories of Jesus feeding lots of people. 
He feeds 5,000 people and he feeds 4,000 people. And in Mark, after the story of the 4,000, um, uh, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. Uh, the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. Uh, they obviously didn't have Liz organizing them, or Cheryl. Uh, and they'd forgotten to bring any food with them. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about bread. If you don't know the passage, let me just explain that. He's talking about something else. At this, the disciples, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. They think he's talking about food because they're just hungry, and Jesus is talking about something else. Jesus knew what they were talking about. He said, why are you arguing about having no bread? And this is what Jesus said. Um, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? When I fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? And they'll go, uh, 12. And when I fed 4,000 with seven loaves, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? And they go, uh, seven. Don't you understand? They had seen these miracles, but because they were still living in unbelief, they could not understand what Jesus was saying to them. Unbelief dulls our capacity to hear God. And if we don't live in the miraculous dimension of God, we will be limited by what we can rationalize. And if you can rationalize God, well, good luck. Because I think he's beyond rationalization. Beyond rationalization. You know, if the person developed rationalization, how can, how can somebody understand that? Believing in the impossible, it's the nature of our faith. It's how he chooses to reveal himself on the earth. It's in John 15, I think, he said, look, you'll do these, these impossible things. This is my paraphrase. You'll do these impossible things so that people will know you are my disciples. Because they'll look at you and say, well, there's no way uh, he could do that. No way she could do that. Must be God. And it's the encouragement of Jesus. Something else to read through. So here's some homework. Listen, folks. You can't just come and listen on Sunday morning. You've got to take this stuff. You've got to read your own Bibles. You've got to go back to the Lord. And you've got to say, what's this about? So you've got to read some of Deuteronomy. You've got to read some of Luke 8. You've also got to read some of John 14, 15, 16. And uh, some of you will have heard me say this before, but John 14, 15, and 16, four times, four times. Read it and count them. I'm not going to point them out to you. That would be too easy for you. Four times Jesus says, ask for the impossible and God will do it. Now, you know, we can have all the discussions about, you know, whether you should be asking for a Porsche or something. Believe me, I've tried. Um, didn't get a Porsche. But it's in the, the context of the impossible things that God wants to do on the earth. But God doesn't just do them. He wants to do them through us because he wants us to grow in faith. We do not grow in faith unless we invest everything uh, to see that something happens. You only grow in these things when you risk everything. You can observe other people and they're risking everything, but unless you're prepared to risk everything, you won't grow in these things. You'll just, 
You'll know about it intellectually, but you won't know about it personally. And you won't have the insight into the ways of God that comes through putting your whole life on the line to see what God does. Okay, I've got five practicalities which I'm gonna finish with. Okay, um, and four of them begin with I. It took me ages to do this, but I love a bit of alliteration. alliteration. Um, number one, you've got to imagine extravagantly. Imagine extravagantly. The realm of our imagination is one that we don't use as much as we should. God speaks, he resonates into our imagination with his imagination. What are you able to imagine? The, the unfortunate thing for all of you at the moment is because unless somebody asks me not to, to carry on in this position for a while, which is fine, if anybody else wants to volunteer, come and see me afterwards over a bit of cake, we'll sort it out. But otherwise, it's going to be, we're going to carry on as we are. And the crazy thing is, I, I know, I don't just think, I know now, because I've heard God speak to me, that we're going to get this building, we're going to walk straight into it, and we might have to do, you know, people might want to paint it and buy some nice cushions and make it look nice. Cheryl and Becky said to me, um, you're not going to have any hand in, in kind of making this build, building look nice, are you? And I said, no, of course not. <laughs> But we're gonna walk straight into it. It's, God's gonna give it to us and it's gonna be debt free. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm staking my reputation on. That's why I'm saying it publicly. Because, there's, because of what I've experienced in the past, because of what I've been through, I recognize the process that's going on. I recognize what, what God is doing and it gives me the confidence to say, all right, I'm, I'm just, you know, if it doesn't happen, well, I'm wrong. You know, so stone me or throw me off the balcony or whatever you want. That's okay, because I'm not infallible. But as, as sincerely as I can say it, this is, this is what I believe God's going to do. Okay, so you've got to imagine extravagantly. Uh, that's why I want a nice garden and, and somebody to garden it. Number two, we've got to incubate, incubate his word. Incubate his word. I know that I'm going to read this chapter over and over and over and over and over again and other ones because I will doubt. I will have things that press my doubt buttons. And the only thing I've got is God's word. I haven't got anything else. I've got a bit of experience, but that's my experience. I'm only interested in what God brings into this equation. And he's given me something solid to hold on to. It was written for a people, I don't know, 3,000 years ago. But his spirit speaks to me today through it. And whether it's this or something else, we need to have that incubating within us so that it comes to fruition. That's how we bring something from heaven to the earth. It's his word growing in us. That's why it's described as a seed, because seeds grow and they bring a harvest. And one seed produces lots of seeds. But it's got to happen in here. That's the whole point of being still in this world. That's why God's left us here, so that we can get to know him in this context. So that's number two, incubate his word. Number three, invalidate unbelief. Invalidate unbelief. We have to deal with unbelief ruthlessly. Unbelief, and this is what we're gonna pray about in a minute, because I know we've all got it. I've got areas of unbelief, I know I have. 
I mean, some I know about and some I don't. Uh, it's the ones I don't know about that are a bit more dangerous, but I can't deal with those, so I just have to deal with the ones that I do know about. But whatever your response to what I'm saying is, because I know I've had these conversations with people, and you, you, know, you talk about these, these scriptures, and people say, oh, yeah, but sometimes God doesn't do that. I know sometimes it doesn't happen. I'm not worried about the times it doesn't happen. I'm concerned with the times that it has happened. You know, I know God doesn't heal all the time. You know that I know that. What I'm concerned about is that God does heal. What I'm concerned about is when God does provide, because I want to see him do that again and again and again. When God does speak prophetically something that's extraordinary and just opens something up. When God does forgive somebody and somebody's life gets just completely renewed and turned around through Alpha or through some other conversation. Those are miraculous things that I can't produce of myself, but it, you know, not everybody who goes on an Alpha course get saved. Does that mean we're not going to run Alpha courses? No, because a lot of people who do go on Alpha courses meet with Jesus in a beautiful and sovereign way. It's worth doing just for that. So we've got to deal with unbelief. Stop worrying. <laughs> this is true. You know, you talk to a bunch of Christians about things. You know, I wrote this, this book. Oh, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about it. It's not an advert because I'm giving this away. I wrote this book. The two great things about this book. One, it's the best book I've ever written. Absolutely the best book I've ever written. And two, look at that color scheme. Isn't that great? Green and pink. When was the last time you read a green and pink book? You know, some of the stories of things that I've seen God do are in there. If you've not read it, you're welcome to read it. There'll be some over here behind me. It, take them, it's free. I'm fed up trying to sell it. Because do you know what happens? Do you know what happens? People read it and they say, oh, yeah, what about the time God didn't do it? I, lots of times God didn't do stuff. But I had a few times when God did, and the problem is it's just addictive. Just makes you want to see it more and more. So that's number three, invalidate unbelief. Four, intimidate the opposition. You have got to put the enemy in his place. The very best way to do that is through worship and the word of God. You know, that's why we worship, because it keeps the enemy in his place. It just says, look, our queen of 70 years has died. What's our response? We're going to worship. You know, something awful has happened or we're worried about something. What's our response? We're going to worship. When we worship, we put God in first place. We say, this question, you have the answer. We worship. Intimidate him. Um, I'll just say something very briefly about this. But after Anne died, I was in a, uh, a real kind of conflict of uh, the enemy trying to intimidate me about what had happened. And... I, I had the grace just to decide really early on that wasn't going to happen, and I intimidated him. And I, this will sound weird. This, I probably actually I won't say it because it's being recorded and people will misunderstand me. But just let me just say this: um, he didn't intimidate me. Jesus won, and that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do when we're facing battles because rationality and good sense. And sound leadership principles will tell you this is a crazy thing to do. Um, but we're still going to do what God says. And the fourth thing doesn't begin with an I, and it's this. Never, 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 never give up. Never give up. Sometimes you have to stop because the situation changes. That's not giving up. That's just recognizing that you didn't see the whole picture. But never, ever, 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 ever give up. Okay, I'd like you to stand, please. We're going to uh, pray over one aspect of this. Um, then I'm going to finish and hand back to Cheryl.
Okay. Uh, we need to, to recognize where we have unbelief in our lives. Now, it's not going to, you know, praying now won't, won't deal with the whole thing, but it will acknowledge that there are areas in our lives where uh, we're just not trusting God. You know, we don't believe God can do stuff. And that restricts us in, in how we can honor him and serve him and, and how we can, we can bring his love to the people around us. Because we look at a situation and we say, oh, if only I was good enough for God to do something through me. If only I wasn't so small and insignificant. If only God weren't restricted and, and not able to do this thing because I don't see it very often. You know, and all that stuff is just lies. It's just lies. That's all it is. You know, it's no big point give, giving it a clever name. It's just lies. And, um, you know, the only way to, to combat them is just to read truth and to have the Holy Spirit bring truth alive in us. So, uh, let's pray. And if there are particular, as we pray through this, I'll pray, but as there, I pray, if there are particular areas that you feel that the Lord's speaking to you about saying, yeah, you, you don't believe this. You've got unbelief here. I want to do something and you don't believe I can do it. Then just say, uh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. It seemed to work in the Bible, so uh, maybe it'll work for us. Lord, we thank you for the miraculous things that you have done in our lives. We thank you that we can know you through a miraculous series of events. Thank you that we, we live and move and have our being in a kingdom ruled by a king who was dead and is alive, a man who shared his life so perfectly and beautifully and intimately with God. God in a man, man, man in God. So we, we ask you to forgive us. We think of the particular issues that we, we feel highlighted now by the Holy Spirit. We say, Lord, forgive our unbelief. Forgive our unbelief. I'm so, we're sorry we haven't trusted you. We're sorry we haven't believed your word. We're sorry we haven't acted because our unbelief has paralyzed us into inactivity. And as, as honestly as we can say, we will not allow that to happen in that area again. And in other areas where we recognize it, we will deal with unbelief ruthlessly because it keeps us from the glory of God. And in particular, as a congregation of people over this whole business of a building, we say, we believe you will give us a building. Uh, we don't know what the process will be. We don't know how that will work and, and, and what the whole financial thing will be. And we're not trying to, to talk about something that we don't understand. But we just believe that you'll give us a home. You'll give us a home. You'll give us the place that we, we long for, the place that we dream of, the place that we can serve you effectively and the place that we can bring your love into this city. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.